0: welcome to the tuesday night bible study we are here in 1 corinthians chapter 10. Uh, at the end of the chapter left off right around verse 20 or so he's been dealing with the whole issue of christian liberty and um, the freedoms that we have in christ and that we ought not to use them if they're going to offend a brother or sister in christ or make somebody uncomfortable. The example we've been giving is, if you feel it's okay to have a glass of wine, and you're with people that are alcoholics and have a great problem with it, it's better to just not have a glass of wine around those sorts of people. He's been dealing with the issue of meat sacrifice to idols and what have you. And uh, so he has brought that whole issue to a head by explaining that if there's meat and you're eating it at somebody else's house don't even ask he's about to say where it came from because the an idol is nothing at all and that the meat isn't con- contaminated if it was sacrificed to idols but the distinction he draws at the end of this chapter is if there's a feast at a pagan temple where there's worship of a pagan god and you think well i'm free in christ i can go i'm not worshiping that Pagan deity, I'm just there to enjoy with my friends and enjoy the meal. He's saying, then there's a problem. Because we have a table called the Lord's table, communion. They have a table where demons are involved. We'll see that as well. Anyway, let's pick it up in First uh, Corinthians 10, um, right around verse 18. Before we do, so I know that you're awake, say, Amen. Amen. Beautiful, and those of you that are on Zoom, I see you waving. Beautiful, amen. All right, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 10. Consider the people of Israel, meaning the Jews. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? And in a sense, the altar he's comparing to a table because they there is they eat of the of the food there. They're participating in that ceremony. And when you participate in a ceremony at an altar, you're sort of saying we're united together under this deity that's being worshipped, meaning the true God. Do I mean, verse 19, that food sacrifice to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, verse 20. Because idols aren't real, right? They're made of stone and and rock, uh, stone and wood, I should say, and sometimes precious stones, but they're not alive. There's only one true God. Every other religion that worships any other God is uh worshiping really nothing but with an asterisk because there are hidden entities receiving the worship that's what we're going to see tonight that's the first point no verse 20 but here it comes the the sort of the bombshell the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons not to god and i do not want you to be participants with demons So if you went to that pagan temple and said, excuse me, I saw that you brought in that lamb to be sacrificed to Aphrodite, which was the big uh, pagan deity there, there were others. And you said, did you know that that meat is being sacrificed to demons? The person would say, what? No, no, we're sacrificing to Aphrodite. Well, there is no Aphrodite god, just as there's no other god, Zeus or whatever. But this makes the point, and the Old Testament does as well, I'll show you in a second that when anybody is worshiping anything other than the true God, or sacrificing to anything other than the true God, there may be nothing behind the wood idol you can see, but the truth is those sacrifices, look at verse 20 again, are offered to demons. Demons are fallen angels. Satan himself was an angel. He is the head of the demons, also a fallen angel. What this is saying is that behind that idol that people are bowing to or kissing or sacrificing to, demons receive the worship. That ought to make you shudder and want to avoid all forms of idolatry, right? They're offered to demons. So they take advantage, demons do, of any worship. They don't care if you call Satan by his name or the demons by their name. They'll take any worship that doesn't go to the true God, which drives them nuts. They hate that the Lord's table is being contrasted with the table of the pagans that are sacrificing to demons. He's saying, you take the Lord's supper and you associate with Christ and his sacrifice. What are you doing at that other table where pagans are worshiping deities? It's idolatry is what he's saying. So, um, a couple of Old Testament scriptures. I'm just going to read them. You don't have to turn there. Leviticus 17:7. 7. This is old, old Testament. Uh, they shall no longer sacrifices. Uh, sorry. They shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons, which, in with which they play the harlot. Deuteronomy 32 17. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. And then the worst one of all, Psalm 106 37. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. There was a lot of worship of other gods, and there still is in this world. All other gods are satan receiving that worship because there is not allah anywhere in the universe he doesn't exist it's a made-up god same with all the 330 million gods of hinduism buddha whoever you want to say you worship confucius confucius all of them are made-up gods there's the one true god instilled in each human being innately this is an amazing verse ecclesiastes says he god has placed in all human beings eternity in their hearts there's a place in every human being that recognizes i need to be worshiping something for some people it's worship of someone else a human being or a superstar in sports or acting or whatever or it's worshiping money or power or fame or good looks or it's all these pagan deities but in any case we do need to worship but the true worship is the worship of the true uh, God. Okay, verse twenty. Uh, yeah, he says, "I do not want you to be participants with demons. That ought to be abhorrent to them." Verse twenty-one. You cannot drink. Here it comes, the cup of the Lord. That's he's talking about communion, about the Lord's supper, and the cup of demons too. You cannot. And by the way, in the Greek, "you cannot" is, is sort of like saying, "I forbid you." You cannot. Second part of verse twenty-one. Have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. What are you doing there? It's sort of like saying, I'm married to you, my dear, and I love you, but I do have this other woman that I love, but I still love you. Not going to work, is it? Um, Let's see. Verse 22 is interesting. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay. Now, I, I remember when I first became a Christian, I had a little problem with Old Testament says over and over again, God says it about himself. I am a jealous God. We in the West, we see jealousy as a negative sort of a feeling, right? To be jealous. But God is jealous in a good way and for our own good. He, by the way, bought us on the cross, Christ did. So we're his. He is jealous if we go after other gods not because he feels inferior or needs to be self-assured but because it's to our own detriment that we do those sorts of things so the lord's table being contrasted we already talked about that so he's saying i forbid you don't live a double life there's such a thing as spiritual adultery where we have other gods okay so i wanted to bring this down to earth in 2023 for us The reason I'm saying what I'm about to say is this. None of you, I'm confident, go to pagan temples. Or none of you are invited to pagan feasts where there's other. But there are idols we deal with in our society, aren't there? We have to be careful what we're placing in the number one position in our lives and making it the thing. Tim Keller used to say, the thing you worship is the thing about which you would say, if I lost that, my life wouldn't be worth living. Now you may say, well, that's my family, my spouse, my kids, my parents, my friends, whatever it may be. Whatever it is, I'm not saying those things aren't important. What I am saying is God requires the number one position or no position at all. He doesn't want to be number six in your top 10 or mine. He has to be number one. And that's exactly the right way it should be, by the way. Let's see. The Jews provoked the Lord to jealousy over and over. There was a time in Numbers 25 where they got into the Moabite worship of false gods. What he's saying here about we're not stronger than him, are we, is are you really willing to flirt with God's adversary, which is Satan and demons? Obviously, we're not stronger than him, so it's sort of a rhetorical question. So Let's move on. Verse 23, I have the right, here's Christian liberty, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive or edifying. Okay, what doesn't this verse mean? 23, it doesn't mean carte blanche by that I mean I have the right to do anything murder someone sleep with somebody else's wife. You know, steal something it's not talking about sin it's saying in the Gray areas outside of sin, I have the right to do anything But and then that's true outside of sin, but there's all kinds of Gray areas like we talked about the drinking of alcohol around somebody that has a problem with alcohol if to them it's a problem and they have a weaker conscience just don't do it not everything is constructive so this is edification which is a word that means building up people over self-gratification um one translation has in 23 all things are lawful anybody have that yeah, all things are lawful, but not, in all thing, not all things are profitable or beneficial. So not everything is edifying or constructive. No one should seek their own good, verse 24 says, but the good of others. Christianity is an others religion, isn't it? Have you heard of the word, the acronym JOY, J-O-Y, as being a overarching um sort of, um, how do I want to put this? Uh, Priority list, J, Jesus, O, others, Y, yourself, joy. God first, Christ first in your life, but then horizontally out, others, then yourself last. Um, It's good to pray for yourself, that's totally fine. It's even better if you can pray for yourself last and pray for all the other people first. So edification, others over self. What they were asking was a very self-centered question. I'm thinking about doing this thing. What's the harm to me? Or how much can I get away with and still be a Christian? As opposed to how is this going to harm potentially somebody else, their faith? Make them stumble, make them doubt, make them tempted to join me in something they shouldn't do. Is this God's will that I'm doing? Will God be glorified in this? If something's permitted, it doesn't mean it's beneficial. Okay. Do unto others. Remember, Jesus says, same kind of thing. Uh, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. I've mentioned, it's been a while, but I've mentioned an old friend of mine I met in the 1970s in Santa Cruz, he lives in Ecuador now, great guy, Uh, not a believer, but he was such a good friend. When I had a problem, and I told him about it, he would say, and he wasn't kidding, what are we going to do about that? Bearing one another's burdens, pretty amazing thing. Not just your own. We all have our burdens, but when you hear somebody else a burden, think of it as, what can I do to help that person? If nothing more, pray. Listen to Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, this is an amazing part of this verse, value others as more important than yourself. Not looking to your own interests only, but to the interests of others others, making somebody else's problems, your problems. That's the law of Christ bearing one another's burdens. Let's look at verse. um, So yeah, that 24 is really the overarching verse for that whole chapter. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Okay, now he's going to go back to the meat sacrifice to idols, and thank God we're down to the last few verses about this subject. Verse 25, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. Don't look at that meat and say, wait, was this sacrifice to an idol? Don't even ask, he's saying. Remember, don't ask, don't tell. He's saying, don't even ask. Just eat it. It doesn't matter if it's just you eating it kind of thing. Um without raising any questions, for, and he's going to quote the Old Testament in verse 26, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, so he's uh, quoting Psalm 24 verse 1. That verse, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, was a Jewish blessing said before meals. In other words, this food that we're eating, it's my, no, it's hers, it's ours everything's the Lord's. In other words, it's a way of giving thanks to God, a blessing before meals. Um, uh, let's see. So thank God for all food. I, I always try to mention this. If you're eating, thank God before you start to eat for the food, no matter where you are, even in a rest, restaurant. Um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I wrote in my notes here, thank God for all food and chow down. Uh, <laughs> By the way, this is an unbelievable sentence to be written by an Orthodox Jew named the Apostle Paul. Eat everything, basically. He's saying, don't worry about it. Now, uh, Mark chapter, I think it's seven. It's in the notes. Yeah, verse 19. Jesus declares all foods clean because he fulfills the law. The Jews had kosher laws. You couldn't eat bacon, any pork products, a lot of other things, shellfish. So now you can have a pork chop with a, with a side order of uh, oysters or something. Um, Let's see, lost my place. Um, Yeah, don't ask any questions. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But there's an exception, and here it comes in verse 27. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal, and you go, uh, let's see, and you want to go, sorry, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Don't be the food cop. Wait, where did you get this turkey sandwich? Where does the meat from? Just eat and be quiet, right? Uh, but verse 28, if someone says to you at this meal, what's, this is a hypothetical, somebody's there with a weaker conscience, you know this meat was sacrificed to idols. If they're bringing it up, guess what that means? they have a problem with it. So immediately just say, well, then I'm fine not eating it. That's all for the bearing one another's burdens. So um, if they say it's been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. Verse 28, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Now that sounds like, oh, my conscience? No, I have no problem with eating it. Okay. So he's going to explain in verse 29, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? And the answer to that is back in uh, uh, the verse er earlier about um, verse 24, I think it was. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. If it's going to make another's conscience upset, feel guilty, tempted, uh, questioning, it's better just not to do it. Paul's all about evangelism and bringing people to Jesus, not putting a stumbling block in their way to make it harder for them, but just the opposite, making it easier. Why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? We already answered that. Verse 30, if I take part in the meal with thanks, thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So what he's saying in verse 30 is basically, uh, it's an imagined objection. And yours is not the only conscience that matters. He's kind of saying the same thing. Um, You wouldn't be denounced if you ate it, but for the sake of the other person, you're not going to eat it. Look at verse 31. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's an overarching verse as well, isn't it? Sometimes Christians have made lists when deciding, should I do this or not? And one of the questions is, would this bring glory to God or potentially um, damage the relationship of God because they know I'm a Christian when I'm doing this sort of thing? Um, Let's see. The key here is doing all to the glory of God. There's a higher purpose, a higher standard. The reason we are here on this planet is to bring glory to God. Uh, and enjoy him all our lives. Um, The Westminster Confession, in part, anyway. Um, Liberty within limits, or love limits liberty, we've been saying all along. Um, Not how much we can get away with, but uh, the higher purchase is do everything to the glory of God. By the way, that includes if you work, if you're a teacher, or if you're a plumber, or you a painter, whatever you do, do everything to, glory, to the glory of God. Even if you're not painting a Christian building or not cooking a meal for Christians, do it all to God's glory. Translation, do the very best you can. With the gifts God's given you, it brings glory to God, right? Christians ought to be the best employees you could possibly have. Honest, they show up early, they do their work, they're friendly to others, they don't, create problems, they solve problems. So, uh, yeah, we talked about that. By the way, the three groups coming up here, well, let's read the verse and then we'll talk about it. Um, Let's see. Do not, verse 32, notice the three groups. Do not cause anyone to stumble. The word stumble is scandalizo. It means to be scandalized to make their, they were going along well in their faith, and you caused them to stumble with this questionable behavior that you did. Do not cause anyone, verse 32, to stumble. Here comes the three groups, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God. Okay, what's going on here? Jews, you know what Jews are. Those are Jewish people. Greeks, you would think, means, oh, okay, the people from Greece. It doesn't mean that. In the New Testament, almost always, Greeks means Non Jews, Gentiles. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It doesn't mean to the exclusion of the Japanese or the Irish or the Italians. Greeks is a way for Paul of saying, because Greek was the common language of that time, even though it was the Roman Empire, the street language was Greek. He's saying these are the three groups Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, or the Church of God. What's that? Christians. That's all there is, folks. Gentiles, Jews, and Christians, right? So with everyone, he's saying, don't cause anybody to stumble. And that doesn't just mean people that are believers because unbelievers are watching your life and you might make them stumble. I have witnessed to, Christ, to people before who are not Christians who have said, yeah, Christianity, Jesus, Bible, that's all well and good, but I've known some real hypocrites that are Christians. And that's what they love to base Christianity on instead of, don't judge it by the hypocrites, judge it by the master of all, Jesus Christ. My old pastor, Pastor Kraft in Santa Cruz used to say, um, are there hypocrites in church? Yes, but it's some, but it's better to spend an hour or two a week with a few of them than eternity with all of them. (laughs) let's keep rolling. Uh, Bill knows who I'm talking about, right? Pastor Kraft? Yep. Um, Okay. Don't cause anyone to stumble. Verse 33. Even as I try to please everyone in every way. Doesn't mean he's going to water it down or compromise, but he's just very careful not to put a stumbling block in anybody's way. rest of verse 33. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved, last word of the chapter, that's what he's all about, and if it's going to stop somebody from being saved, or make them stumble, I'm not even going to go there, he's very careful with how he behaves, all right, we're going to get into chapter 11 now, Um, I will tell you the truth, I have spent more time on Bible study this week, than I normally do, because chapter seven is tough, it's controversial, I'll show you why for a couple of reasons, and um, I hope I don't get any letters because this is going to cover eventually um, women's lib and women submitting to the leadership of men. Coincidentally, Steve, the pastor here at our church, this Sunday in the pulpit behind me is going to cover Ephesians 5 on husbands and wives and all of that pray for him anyway i want to give a little quick introduction about chapter 11 um by the way chapters 11 12 13 14 specifically are about one thing varying parts of it the meeting of christians together how to conduct yourself at church okay second thing i want to tell you is um yeah he's going to talk about the lord's supper and all kinds of things There's this whole big discussion in chapter 11 about women covering their heads and men not covering their heads. Okay. So the overarching question you're going to be asking yourself, and I'm not going to answer it for a while is, is this for today? Should all women in church be wearing something on their heads? And should all men not be wearing something on on their heads in church when they're praying or prophesying you'll see that's the context we'll get to that um, anyway it's one of the i would say top five to ten toughest passages in the new testament this is one of them just want to warn you um, i don't think it's as hard as i did two or three weeks ago though um, there's another um, there's another thing i want to tell you about and that is this in hermeneutics, which is the um, interpreting of the Bible. The rule is to always take the difficult passages and interpret them in the light of the clear passages. Things get a lot easier when you do that. Um, Let's see, Uh, I wanna read verses one to 16 and then we'll talk about it. Can we do that now? All right, are you still awake? Say amen. Okay. You guys on Zoom, anybody sleeping? I don't see anybody sleeping. Okay. Chapter 11, verse one, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. By the way, most scholars think that should have been the last verse of the previous chapter. The The chapter numbers and the verse numbers were made centuries after these guys were gone. doesn't matter. Uh, We'll come back and talk about all of this. Verse 2, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Verse 5, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair shorn or cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Verse 8, for for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Verse 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman was created for man. Verse 10, is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels nevertheless if the in the lord in the lord woman is not independent of man nor is man independent of woman for as woman as yes woman came from man so also man is born of woman but everything comes from god judge for yourselves verse 13 is it proper for a woman to pray to god with her head uncovered Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. All right, let's just skip those verses and move right into the, just kidding. Okay, so... There's a lot there. Amen. A lot. Uh, now I want you before we dive in, go back to your Bible and go two books to the right from first Corinthians, go past second Corinthians and go to the book of Galatians. I want you to see something and we'll talk about it. Go to Galatians chapter three, Galatians one, two books to the right from first Corinthians, Galatians three, And verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, look at that again. In terms of equality at the cross, in Christianity, in terms of nature, everybody's equal. What do you mean? Look at verse 28 there of Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. That means Gentile. Remember, we just said Greek is Gentile. He means at the cross, there's no distinction. Jesus doesn't say in heaven, you Jewish Christians, come over here. You Gentile ones, wait over there. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no racial discrimination. Black, white, green, yellow, red, brown, purple. No racial discrimination. That's what Jew, Greek is talking about. Okay, what's the next phrase? Slave nor free. That's like saying extremely poor, wealthy. No distinction. And again, in heaven, the rich people come with me, you poor people wait outside, and we'll get to you later. Forget that. In fact, if anything, I bet you the poor people get in first, but don't quote me on that. But there's no economic or caste system, if you know anything about what happens in India with the Hindus and all that. None of that. No Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Gender. God does not love men more than women or women more than men. There's no distinction there at all. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind. Now I'm going to give you a sort of a hypothetical example before we dive in to this passage. Here it comes. I am going to start a, a bunch of things. I'm going to start a government and a country, okay? I'm also going to start a family in a marriage. I'm also going to start a business, and I'm going to start a sports team. By the way, I'm even going to start a church. Okay, you got all those things? And what I've decided is, in each one of those things, the government, the sports uh, team, the family, the business, the church, let's throw in an army. In each of these things that I'm starting, no one will be in control. No one will rule over anyone. Everyone will be equal. Everyone will have equal say. No one will rule over anyone. How is that going to work out? Do you think they're going to fail? Right, God is a God of order. If you doubt me, look at the world, look at the incredible complexity of the universe, and it's not random. There are predictable orbits of planets spinning around suns, and moons spinning around the planets, and you can set your watch to here it comes again, here comes the sun, and all that. Right? It's a Beatles song. Anyway, God's a God of order okay and there has to be somebody that plays the role of being in charge in anything you do the sports team no coach no manager no owner you guys just go play and figure it out it's not going to work there will always be that battle for power won't there okay with those little things to put in the back of your mind order for the sake of harmony, and structure for the sake of harmony. Okay, Um, now go to verse 1 of chapter 11. Um, Boy, that's a tough thing. Follow my example. Did any of you say that to any other Christians? Follow my example. Imitate me. Be imitators of me. I I don't want to say that. Ask my wife. She'll tell you, don't follow him. We're all faulty beings. So is Paul. He's still a sinner. Read Romans, especially the chapters 5, 6, 7. He knows he's a sinner, but he's saying to the extent that I'm following Christ to the best of my ability, follow my example. That's, that's all he's saying there. Um, as I follow the example of Christ. Verse 2, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. Now, some Protestants look at that and say, oh, Problem, traditions. Catholicism is heavy with traditions, some of which are not biblical. What's going on here? I thought we weren't supposed to be into the traditions of men, but stay with scripture. We are. When he says traditions or teachings, he's talking about the real biblical gospel. But at this era, when this is being written in the 60s, roughly 30, 32 years after Jesus dies, all the Bible books have not even been written yet, nor have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John been widely copied and distributed. They've been read by the apostles and they're shared verbally. So in that sense, they are traditions. That's what he's talking about there. Uh, Remembering me and everything, holding to the traditions, just as I pass them on to you. One or two scholars thought he was really being sarcastic in verse two, because doesn't know, I don't know how much they're really holding on to everything Uh, and remembering him in everything. They're questioning his authority in the rest of the book, but be be that as it may, um, we're supposed to hold on to and pass down the traditions, meaning the true gospel. Be so familiar with what you believe and why you believe it, though, that when someone passes on a tradition or a teaching to you and you realize that's not biblical, you can throw it out immediately, right? If you know your Bible, Really well, and someone tells you you should really pray to Mary, the virgin, and worship Mary. You, if you know your Bible, you would know instantly, Oh, no, no, that's not right, right? Greatly honored woman, we are not to pray to her. There's no prayers in the Bible to Mary. Uh, you pray to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Just one example, in any case, verse three, let's dive in, shall we? I want you to realize, he's saying this probably because they asked him about this blurring of the gender lines. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Some of this verse, nobody has a problem with. Some, some people have a problem with. Let's start at the top, shall we? The head of every man is Christ. Talking about Christians, right? Because unbelievers don't couldn't give a rip about Jesus, right? The head of every man is Christ. In this context, what he's saying, the word head has to do with um, authority over, okay? Rulership, the ability to call the shots. We call Jesus Lord, don't we? It's a fancy religious word. We don't use it outside of religious stuff very much. Lord means master, boss. If someone is your Lord and they tell you to do something, you don't question it, you just do it. He's our Lord. So that's what the first part of this verse is about. Most people don't have a problem with it. The head of every man is Christ. When I want B, and I read the Bible that God wants A, I am to do A, against my own will. Yes. What's the example? Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any way to take this cup from me, the cup of sweating drops of blood there and dying on a cross and being beaten and whipped and dying of a broken heart on a cross for the sins of the world. If there's any way around this, take it from me. That's his manhood talking, isn't it? But what else does he say? Not my will, but thy will be done. That's lordship salvation. Okay, head of every man is Christ. He's establishing a uh, program of order in terms of people. Um, The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man. Okay, I'm sure there's some women reading this saying... Yeah, I'm not that comfortable with that for a number of reasons. Uh, I had a bad marriage. I have a bad marriage now. I admit to you, some husbands are not that good of leaders. Okay? Some husbands are not as smart as their wives. I'll even admit that to you. But I'm not the one writing this. Don't write me letters. God inspired these words. As I said, the family... The business, the army, the sports team, the government, without somebody in charge playing that role is chaos, right? So, here's the order God wants. The head of every man is Christ. Do everything according to Christ's will, as outlined in the Bible. Verse, that's the first part, number one. The head of the woman is man. Man is to take the role as leader in the family. That is the father as well as the husband. It doesn't mean to rule um, uh, in a horrible and um, angry or lording it over type domineering way, male chauvinism way, but it means somebody's got to be the leader. We're going to come back to that, the woman and the man. But God's order is the head of the woman is man. Head is a euphemism or a symbolic word, therefore, the, the one that is in authority over. Okay, and this is the surprising one. The head of Christ is God, meaning God the Father. What he's saying there is if you're uncomfortable with Christ being the head of every man and the man being the head of every woman, there's even rulership and Authority and submission in the Godhead, because the Bible presents the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you remember nothing else, remember this as being equal in nature. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are equal in nature with me so far. However, the Son and the Holy Spirit submit to the Father. Jesus does only his father's will, he says in the gospel of John. There's got to be that submission. Okay. So are you saying then, Joe, that God is smarter than? No. God is better than? No. Equal in nature, different in role of submission or authority. Same thing with husband and wife. We're all human beings. If I drive out of here going 80 miles an hour, and I see the red lights behind me, I can't look in the mirror and see, oh, it's a human being driving that cop car. We're equal. We are equal in nature. He's a human being. I'm a human being. But in role, he has the right to tell me stop right now. And I have to do it, don't I? If you have a job at work, your boss is a human being just like you are, you're equal. But not enroll. He has the right to tell you, "Don't do that, or do do this." Right? There has to be authority for there to be order. Okay. Christ is uh, the head of Christ is God. God the Father is uh, the authority in the Trinity. There has to be that sort of authority. Um, almost time to take our break, but not quite. Let me look at my notes here. Um, Okay. Let's see. Do we want to go there now? Mm -hmm. By the way, all three of those role characteristics are based on love. Christ loves the church, so it's easy to submit, isn't it? The father loves the son, so it's easy for the son to submit to the father. The husband is to love the wife. We'll see uh, in Ephesians, which we'll look at, that the husband has, if not as hard, a harder job than the wife. In Ephesians 5, turn there with me now. So if you're in Galatians still, it's just one book to the right, real easy to find. So three books to the right from 1 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What that means is wives are supposed to submit to their husbands the way they submit to the lord god doesn't tell you to do something and you go you know i'd like to bring up some arguments why i think you're wrong you say but my husband isn't the lord i i'm hip neither is my wife's husband but wives are to submit to their husbands in the lord for the husband is the head of the wife i'm in ephesians 5 as christ is the head of the church his body of which he's the savior now as the church submits to christ So also wives should submit to their husbands in most things. Is that what it says? No. In everything. One more quick thing before we're going to go back to Ephesians. One more quick thing. This does not mean every woman has to submit to every man. It's wives submitting to their own husbands. If you're somebody else's wife, you don't have to submit to me. I wouldn't want you to anyway. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, yeah, I love my wife. What's the standard, Paul? Verse 25. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Oh, wow. And gave himself up for her. Total sacrifice. Mutual um, abiding. One is submitting to the other, but the other one loves the other one so much he wants to give himself up for her. I've told you this story before. It's been a while, though. My brother and I, we talk about it all the time. We grew up in a household. We never, ever saw my parents fight, ever. And it wasn't like they were hiding, fighting, and then they'd come out and go, hi. They never fought. If anything, when they disagreed, it we rolled our eyes because it would be like this Saturday morning. What do you want to do today? Sam and Marion, my parents' names. What do you want to do today? Sam, I thought we'd go to the beach. My mom, okay, kids, get your stuff. We're going to the beach. Pack up. And my dad would say, oh, no, no, no. What do you want to do, Marion? And she'd say, well, I thought we would go to the park, but no, we can go to the beach. She's choosing his idea. And he's saying, no, no, we're going to the park. And they would almost get in an argument. I'm trying to do what you want. You're trying to do what I want. And my brother and I would go, will you make up your minds? Is it sandals or a baseball bat kind of thing or both? Anyway, mutual uh, abiding uh, and in a way, mutual submission. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own body, and we go on from there. Okay, here's the distinction, just so we're clear. In nature equal father son holy spirit equal enroll the the son and the spirit submit to the father husband and wife equal in nature both human beings both made in the image of god enroll someone has to take the role of leadership and he ought to listen to his wife as well consider her opinion often she's going to be right when you guys think you're right i know this to be true and They're the same in nature, different in role. In the same way, the policeman, the same way the pastor of your church, we're supposed to submit to the pastor of our church. Same way with the boss, same with his teacher, same with a coach on a team. Equal in nature, different in role. Okay. Mm -hmm -hmm. Of all the world religions, no, you know what? I'm going to talk about that when we get back. Let's take our two-minute break and stretch our aging bodies Uh, We'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. And those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. See you in a few minutes. I'll be right back. Find your seats, if you will, and we'll continue. Okay. In all the world religions, Women are elevated more in Christianity than in any any other religion. At the time this is being written, both in Judaism as well as in the Greek culture and in the Roman Empire, women were second-class citizens. They were not allowed to vote. They were not allowed to testify in court. They were possessions. God... um, Let's see. The the rabbis had a prayer. This is not biblical. The rabbis had a prayer which read, Thank you, God, for not making me a woman. It's incredible. Jesus comes along and chooses to go out of his way to minister to women. There's the woman at the well. Remember that? in that culture, an unmarried man would never talk to a woman in public. There would be exceptions, but generally it wasn't done. If you read that passage in John 4, the disciples come back. They left Jesus at the well. The woman is there, remember? And they marvel that he's talking to a woman. That's why, okay? Okay. The woman at the well who's not only a woman she's a Samaritan, which is a half breed Jew Gentile with some pagan stuff thrown in. And the Jews hated the Samaritans and vice versa, and here he is talking with her there's the woman with the bleeding disorder who touches the hem of his garment and quietly tries to get away and he says somebody touched me remember all that there's Mary Magdalene. Um, there's Mary and Martha. There are so many women. There's the woman caught in adultery. There's um, the widow of Nain. At the cross, Jesus is suffering for the sins of the world. One apostle male is there, right? John. The others are hiding somewhere. You know who's there? All the women. Uh, The followers of Christ. The women are the first to see the resurrected Christ. The women are the first to proclaim he's risen, right? And the apostles don't believe it. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, women are so put down in Christianity. Just the opposite is true. Um, The, let's see. So there's a difference between saying equality in nature and then enroll somebody being in uh, a position of authority. Um I will admit for you wives who have a husband that is less than a perfect leader which would be every wife probably right if your husband or to the extent that your husband is walking closely with the Lord and in obedience and submitting to God that guy is a lot easier to submit to ladies isn't he than a husband that isn't doing that right some of you have had husbands like that um okay uh, Philippians 2 is all about Christ uh, being equal with God, but he lowers himself in submission to his Father and to his uh, will. Um, we already had talked about that. Do we want to go there now? No, I don't think so. Um, let's go back to the text. Um, let's see. So there's, that, there's the hierarchy. Head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is Man. The head of Christ is God. Verse 4. By the way, somebody brought this up beforehand, uh, before Bible study. I won't say who it was, but it was well said. And it was a woman who said, aren't we all Christians the bride of Christ? Nice analogy, isn't it? The bride submits to the bridegroom. Okay, extra points for that. You know who you are. Verse 4. Here's where it gets dicey. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. He's talking about in church, in a home church in those days, in a church now. I don't know about you, but we occasionally have men wearing a hat in church. We very often have women not wearing a covering on their head, right? One of the women here tonight is wearing a covering on her head. I don't know if that's on purpose or whatever, but we, Sherry and I know a couple, they moved to Idaho, they're watching tonight, and the woman, based on this verse, uh, this passage, always wears uh, a scarf overhead as a sign of submission. We're going to talk about, is this a command for all you ladies, and a command for all us men, don't pray with something on your head. And women, don't pray unless you have something on your head. That's what we're going to talk about. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Okay. Do you mean head like this part of your body? No. She's saying no. Who was the head of every man? What did it say in the previous verse? Christ. Okay. Here's the theory. I am a Christian. I submit to Christ my head. He is my boss, my Lord. I am I understand the rules here. I'm not an authority. I don't tell him what to do. I try not to even suggest to him what to do because I know a billionth of what he knows. I'm supposed to submit to him. The more you know the word, the more e- easier it gets because you know what he wants, what God's will is. With me so far? Okay, so in that culture... For me to pray, stand up and pray at church or prophesy, prophesy, meaning teach the word like I am right now. If I did so in that culture, wearing something on my head, a hat or whatever, people in that culture would recognize that saying I'm not in authority. Um, somebody else here, not God, is an authority over me. And by doing that, I'm dishonoring my head, which is God, Christ, because I am giving the impression that I'm not the one he put in authority when I am. Men are supposed to be in authority. He's going to go into Adam and Eve and all of that. We'll get there, hopefully. Maybe next week, now that I'm looking at the clock. Um, Mennonite and Amish women are still required to wear a head covering. You, most of you know that. Imagine. If I was teaching this Bible study with a hat on, culturally, most of us are Americans, would anybody look and say, oh, he's wearing a hat? He's trying to let us know he's not wearing the pants in the family or not the one in authority. I don't think anybody would think that. If it said Yankees, you'd say he's a Yankees fan, right? Um, in our culture, we don't see that. By the same, t- we don't think that. It, by the same token, if you see a woman and she gets up to pray, and she's not wearing something on her head, would anybody here think, "Oh, look at that, being rebellious, Harriet, or whatever her name is"? Right? I don't think so. So the question is: Is this a cultural thing for that time, or is this for all Christianity to follow? Okay, I'm gonna just leave that enchilada out there hanging there for now. Um, Let's see, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Verse five, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. You say, well, if somebody had really short hair, a woman, would anybody think, huh, not much of a Christian, are you? Being so rebellious. In our culture, I think the answer is, she just wants short hair. Um, Between the lines in this passage is the thought about not blurring the lines, and we're seeing it in our culture like crazy. Never before has it been this bad. Don't blur the lines between womanhood and manhood. A woman should look like a woman. A man should look like a man. That's going to come up later. I just wanted to throw that in for now. Okay, so who in that culture went around without a head covering? Who female, who, which females in that culture, Corinth, we know this from history, went around with a shaved head, a woman, answer, prostitutes. Who else? Women caught in adultery in Judaism, they had to have their head shaved as a way of shaming them, taking away that covering. Prostitutes And there was a thousand temple prostitutes in Corinth at the temple to Aphrodite. If they didn't do that, not wear the covering or didn't cut their hair short or shave it, there'd be no way to know who is a prostitute. I'm looking for a prostitute. Who's a prostitute and who isn't? Made it easy, right? There she, here she comes, kind of advertising. Yes, I'm one, I'm for sale kind of thing. Horrible. Okay. Prostitutes uh, did that. That was well known then. So in Christianity, no, let me take that back. In culture in general, in the Roman Empire and in Greece, at this time, you may be surprised to learn it what was happening then with women to some degree, a small group, happened in the 60s here in America. What do you mean? Women's lib? And 70s. Remember all that? Burning bras? Guess what they did? The, the women in the Roman Empire, a small group of them, barricaded themselves inside the Colosseum and burned their veils, their kerchiefs, as a way of saying, we're free. We, we, we don't want that distinction kind of thing. They would cut their hair, to. besides prostitutes, in Rome to look like a man. I can do anything a man can do kind of thing. So they were blurring the lines of gender as we did in the sixties and seventies. Believe me, I think you'll agree. It's a thousand times worse right now. Don't you think? A male, clearly a male, can compete with women on the sports, uh, on the swim team and win all the medals. That's such an abomination to me. Don't get me started. Women try to look like men. Men try to look like women. I can't remember what we were watching on TV, and somebody came on TV and I turned to Sherry and I said, is that a woman or a man? Right, you ever do that? We try to look at the voice, listen to the voice, the Adam's apple, or is, that a, is it a woman? We shouldn't blur the lines. Okay, so partly they were doing that in Corinth. Um, and so he's saying that if you, a woman, pray without something on your head, you are saying in that culture, what you and I wouldn't think about this woman over here without something on her head praying. In that culture, it meant I'm rebelling against my husband. There was an uptick in people separating, divorces and what have you, women wanting to leave their families at the same time this is going on. The woman um, was trying to usurp the authority of her husband. She was saying, I rule, not him. And here's the proof. I shaved my head, or I'm not wearing a covering. The other issue that comes up further in this chapter is, is the covering a literal something on the head, or is the covering a woman's hair as well? If you feel convicted to wear something on your head, ladies, you should do it. Men, if you feel convicted to not wear something on him when you pray, you should do it. Let everyone be in their own mind convinced, according to your conscience and what have you. Okay, Um, we talked about prostitutes. Um, So the woman would appear rebellious by doing this. Sidebar, you ever read Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, opposite side of the book, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 the creation i never noticed this before god keeps separating stuff let me give you examples and you'll recognize them when you hear them he distinguishes one thing from another god separates the day from the night he separates the light from the darkness from the waters he separates the waters above from the waters below he separates the land and the seas the different vegetation he separates each of the animal groups he separates the time into years seasons separates the genders in two wait for it two did you know there's 167 genders in america now I, i don't even know how you get beyond three or two or one there's two genders male and female made differently what women are able to do and to a great extent men cannot do some things men can do women cannot okay but in that culture, it was a big red flag that that woman is being very, very um, um, rebellious. <clears throat> some say it's a veil, by the way. Um, some say it is a shawl. It's interesting that in Judaism, who wears a head covering? The men. What? Right? The little yarmulke. Cover the ball spot. No, I'm just kidding. Who wears the head covering in Judaism? A man. Oh, where's that in the Bible? Not in there. Why did they do it? Long story, but the theory is when Moses came down from the mountain, he was glowing. Do you remember that? From having been with the Lord. He People were like, man, you're just like glowing. And then the glow started to dim and dim. And he didn't want them to see, oh, it's going away. So Moses wore a veil. In the fourth century around then, Jewish men said, you know, we should cover our heads when we pray. Not in the Bible. The whole yarmulke thing. Um, Having a little ball spot, I kind of wish it was, but that's a whole nother story. Okay. Uh, Let's see. What about what a woman wears? Do you think God cares? And the answer is no. She's got holes in her jeans. You think God says she shouldn't come to church? Come on. Now, if it's immodest, if it's sexually explicit, low necklines, look at my legs, that's a different story, right? Uh, If it's blurring the lines of male and female, that's a different story. Um, Okay. How many of you women... Have worn pants. <sighs> Sinners. Oh, man. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm kidding, of course. How many of you came here tonight, or when you went to church Sunday, how many of you did some heavy kissing at church? What do you mean? 2 Corinthians thirteen twelve. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's take a break and do that right now. That's a cultural thing. We don't do it anymore, right? I mean, we could. There's a few people I know well enough to hug and give a little kiss on the cheek. But, you know, Jeff or Boyce or Tom, if I kissed him, I think they'd look a little funny at me. Maybe not. Tom's Italian. Did your family kiss Tom? My, see, mine did too. The older guys, we, us younger people didn't do it. There's a cultural thing we don't do. Well, that's disobeying the word. No, the heart of greet one another with a holy kiss. You know what the heart of that is? Greet each other warmly. We embrace, we hug. I hugged several of you tonight. We shake hands. How are you doing? Don't be cold. We're supposed to be loving like our Lord is. But we don't kiss. But we're going to start next week. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Let's see. Uh, We're going to save that for later. Samson took a Nazarite vow. Didn't cut his hair. For a time, the Apostle Paul took a Nazarite vow. The, the Prophet Samuel also, Nazarite vow, grew their hair long. We haven't gotten to hair yet, so I should have saved that for later. I apologize. Um, if the style of clothing is viewed in our culture as, oh, that's inappropriate, we go back to Christian liberty. Could you do it? Yes. Should you? No. No right um, dress modestly um, Paul even says uh, I'm sorry Peter says in his epistle I have the verse here somewhere first Peter about women that they shouldn't wear wait for it braided hair remember that because that said something in that culture that in our culture does anybody here think oh look at that woman with the braided hair what it's different now maybe it's worse if you feel convinced you need to wear something on your head, ladies, do it, right? Don't go against your conscience. The real issue, I think, is a hard attitude of obedience to the Lord's authority, his order that he's prescribed and submit. um, uh, Oh, here it is, 1 Timothy. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but dressed with good deeds. So, we aren't to blur the lines. Um, let's see. Uh, well, um, there's also uh, prescriptions in the Bible that in a church setting, men are to be in authority. Don't write me letters, lady, I, ladies. I didn't make this up. God said the men should be in authority. Well, that's not fair, but women can do a thousand jobs in a church, teach other women, teach children, work when we're having meals here and doing all of that. Women can play an instrument or sing in the worship music. Women can do secretarial stuff. Women can do evangelism. Women can prophesy. Um, Philip's four daughters were had the gift of prophecy. Um, but God has designed men and women differently and expects us to submit to his decrees for order. Let's go back to the text, shall we? Um, Verse six, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well cut her hair off. He's being facetious here. That would really look like a prostitute. But if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. So you can probably tell by the way I'm teaching this, that I believe this is a rare cultural thing. The principle is still there the submission but the exact way it works itself out in our culture I believe is so different that if a woman comes in and every woman here is un- doesn't have a covering on her head and you all prayed with me a moment ago when we prayed I don't think anybody here looked at you women and went oh that's terrible it, in our culture it just doesn't say that nor does short hair for a woman verse seven a man, Ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God. I love this. But woman is the glory of man. You know that, ladies? Isn't that awesome? Man is made in the image and the glory of God. A woman is the glory of man. That doesn't mean, by the way, that woman is not also made in the image of God. In Genesis, it says that they are. Um, Okay, speaking of Genesis, verse 8. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Okay, this is what's known as a one-off. What do you mean? Every man in the history of humanity came from a woman. Your mom, no exceptions. None of you hatched from an egg as far as I know, right? You came from your mom, not Adam. Different. The man was made first. Verse 8, man did not come from woman. Woman, out of the side, rib, came from Adam, remember? Uh, in Genesis, he, God does a little anesthesia, puts Adam to sleep, opens him up, takes a rib out and fashions it into a woman. And she, Eve, was his glory. Because you know what he says with excitement? He doesn't say, read this excitedly in Genesis, but it says, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Previously, God had said, how about this companion, a chipmunk? No, giraffe, Mm. Uh, horse, yeah, nice, but good try, parakeet, no, rhinoceros, are you kidding, woman, yeah, right, it's a beautiful thing, we are going to go to Genesis in a minute, I'm running out of time, I was hoping to speed through this and it's hard to do. Man did not come from woman, woman from man. He's saying from the origin standpoint, man was made first. In the Jewish religion, the firstborn has rights the other kids don't have. He's saying that's the firstborn, the man. Hence, he should be the leader. Um, Verse verse 9, sorry. Neither was man created for woman, but woman was created for man. Now, that one might shock some ladies here. Um, But the Bible, Genesis uh, chapter 1, I have it some here somewhere. Uh, No, sorry, Genesis 2, 18. I will make him, that's Adam, this is God talking. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Uh, Help meet for him, if you have KJV, King James. Um, So, woman was created... To be the companion of and the helper of the man that doesn't mean men you can say i don't have to help you with that honey you were made to help me if you're, you love your wife as christ loved the church you know you're going to help her right but he's saying in the creation that was the order um so he's his glory he's she's his glory because she honors him she is submissive to him she helps him um Yeah. And she too shares in the image of God. Okay. Um, Let's see. God created Eve to complete Adam. And they together were to fill the earth and multiply. And a man, contrary to what you read in the news, a man can't have a baby. Can I just say that? Okay. Thank you very much. Oh, Jim, are you pregnant again? Yes, oh, I'm due in September. Okay, sure you are. Um, let's see. I have to say again, in the roles, there's no implied inferiority. Men are smarter than women? No. Men are better than women? No. All of that. You might even say, you, you shouldn't say, men are stronger than women you say well men generally are stronger than women true however i watched my wife give birth twice i don't know that i'm that strong I-, I could not believe the effort 38 hours labor with our first and much shorter with the second one but wow so different gifts amen let's keep rolling he's giving all the reasons why the submission thing should be the way it is Um, yeah, verse 10. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. You say, wait, now you're bringing in angels now? What's going on here with the angels? Okay, a couple different theories. I don't know which one is right. I'll just tell you there's three actually hope i can remember them all theory number one genesis 6 the sons of god saw that the daughters of men were beautiful most scholars not all think that's talking about fallen angels sons of god old testament is always angels fallen or otherwise in genesis 6 fallen angels reproduce in some way with women to create this other race and mess up the whole genetic line. That's the reason in Genesis six, God says, I got to flood the earth. I got to wipe it all out. You go, wait, you're blowing my mind here. Read that yourself later. Okay. That's theory. Number one, because of the angels who found women attractive, you should keep yourself covered. If you're a woman reason, number two, um, Isaiah, I'm going to forget the verse. So I better look at my notes. Yes, you should, Joe. Um, Gosh, I'm seeing all kinds of other stuff. We still need to go to Ephesians 5. Well, we did kind of, didn't we? Um, well, in any case, the third reason, because I can't find the, the one for the second reason, The third re- and it's Isaiah 60 or 61, I think. The third reason is that angels, 1 Peter says, in some way observe and participate even in our worship. And because they're there, here with us when we're worshiping and even now we're worshiping because we're studying his word and it's all to his glory listen if angels completely get the submission thing right when God says to an angel go do that and help Bill Samuelson out the angel never says now or can I do it later they just salute and do it they get the submission thing right Um, so Uh, Gosh, I can't find that other verse, but I'm pretty sure it's Isaiah 60 or 61. Uh, Okay, but lest you feel Paul is being unbalanced here in this presentation, here comes a verse that says, uh, gives you the other side. Um, Verse 11, nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, Eve came from Adam with me. So also man is born of woman. That's everybody since Adam had a mommy, right? Not not Adam, but everybody else. so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. He has to bring it all the way full circle and say, even though the first woman came out of a man's side, even though every other man comes from a woman in birth, even so everything comes from God. We all get our life from God. So there's a balance there, just as there is where in Ephesians, we looked at chapter 5, a man is to be the authority. And the woman is to submit. But on the other hand, the man has the higher responsibility to love his wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up. How much did Christ give? Gave himself up completely. There was nothing left, right? Died on that cross. Um, Okay. Um, I'm just reviewing verse 11. Man's not independent of woman nor woman of man. So, But there is that uh, divine order. No implied inferiority. Same in nature, different in role. In Genesis 3, who blew it? Eve. She was tempted by the, the serpent and she ate. Listen, Adam blew it. You're saying Eve didn't blow it? No, Eve blew it. Adam was supposed to be the leader. If you read that temptation carefully, Eve is being tempted by the devil and the man, Adam, is there saying, hey, leave my wife alone. No, he doesn't say anything. What happens is she tempts. he tempts Eve. She eats of the fruit and she gives to Adam and he says, you know, we shouldn't do this. We're disobedient. No, he doesn't. He didn't take up the leadership role. Are you blaming women for the sin in the Garden of Eden? No. You know who gets blamed in the New Testament? Adam, Adam, Adam. In a test in a garden involving a tree, he failed. He should have done the right thing. A test in a garden involving a tree and a command of God. Do you follow? Don't eat of this tree. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Adam gets a test, fails it. Why are you bringing this up, Joe? Because centuries later, in another garden called Gethsemane, Jesus Christ, called the second Adam in Romans and elsewhere, had a test in a garden involving a tree, the cross. He hangs on the tree, First Peter says, Right? And he didn't do what Adam did. He passed the test. Obedience. Okay. I'll hang on the tree if that's your will, God. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, Do we want to go there? Yeah, very quickly go to Genesis 3. I want to show you something really quick. You don't do anything quickly. I know, but I'm going to try this time. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and go to verse 16. Real quick, because we're running out of time, the teacher... It's kind of a babbler. Okay. Adam and Eve sin. God is giving out punishment. He punishes the serpent. He punishes Adam and Eve and kicks them out of the Garden of Eden eventually. Right? But I want you to look at verse 16. And I'll show you the problems in every marriage in one verse in the Bible. You ready? Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said... I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Can I get an amen to that, ladies? Those of you that had a child? Yeah, amen. Okay. With pain you will give birth to children. That's not the verse we're after after. Here it comes. You ready? Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There it is. You say, What do you mean? In that one verse is women's lib and male chauvinism. Your desire will be for your husband. That does not mean sexual desire. I want my husband. It means your desire, ladies, because of sin, that which just occurred, your desire will be for your husband's role, leadership. You ever heard? She wears the pants in that family. You ever heard that before? Your desire will be for your husband. That's out of balance. A woman's supposed to submit. Eve's not submitting. Nor are all the other Eves throughout history to one degree or another, or most. Here's the other side. And he will rule over you. Well, wait, isn't man supposed to rule? Not like this. This is the idea of ruling over a woman like a male chauvinist, domineering jerk. That's the problem in all marriage in one verse. A a lack of submission on the woman's part, a lack of leadership that's loving on the man's part. Almost out of time. Okay, back to the text. Maybe we'll get one more verse in if the teacher can get his act together. Um, All this rain, you know, I'm kind of tired. How many are tired of the rain? Are you tired of the rain? Yeah, Yeah. you guys on Zoom, if you don't live around here, I'm building an ark. Let me know if you want in. Uh, Okay, so there's a flip side. Man comes from all women, right? Mom. Um, Verse 13, and we'll quit. There it is. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper... For a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? <laughs> uh, somebody else is here with kind of longer hair. Um, by the way, in history, generally speaking, occasionally throughout history, men have had long hair. Did you know this? Even in those cultures, the women had longer hair. Generally speaking, there's exceptions to this. There are health reasons why a woman may have chemotherapy and not be able to have long hair. That's a whole separate thing. Of course, God understands that. Um, But women grow hair, did you know this, differently than men. There's three stages to hair growth. I'm trying to do this quickly. And that is the growth phase, the resting phase, and the falling out phase. And those phases, did you know this, repeat throughout the life. For a woman, because of the hormones she has, the growth phase and the resting phase last way longer, and the falling out stage is very short and happens way later in life. Um, so, I believe what's being talked about here is um, um, the, 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 the norm or the custom of men not looking like women, and women not looking like men. Um, Doesn't the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. This is not, um, you know, most of the pictures of Jesus, he's got pretty long hair. Probably not accurate. Probably had much shorter hair than that. Um, And certainly the women had longer hair than the men who had long hair. In any case, um, If a woman has long hair, verse 15, it is her glory. For her long hair is given to her as a, wait for it, covering. Is the woman's hair enough of a covering that she doesn't need in our culture where nobody looks upon the hat, no hat thing as rebellion, enough of a covering? I'll leave it there for now because we're out of time and people are falling asleep. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll pick this up next week and then move on to the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for this time. We could be in your word, God, and might be controversial to people. I pray they would um, pray about it and uh, and I pray that we would all recognize our place as being under yours, God. We submit to you. We love you. You are our Lord and Savior. Help us to... Um, if we're men to lead with great grace and love father uh, giving ourselves up for our wives and if we're bosses being loving and kind and understanding if we are if someone is a woman i pray that they would pray about this and being uh, willing to submit to the leadership of the husband even if he's not the perfect leader because only you are lord help us to live together in harmony the way you have ordered things to be everyone, I believe, is happier when we do so. Thank you for these scriptures, God. Help us to be uh, willing to be used for your glory in whatever means you see fit. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Amen. Thanks for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know, those of you on Zoom. Thanks for being here. God bless. We'll see you next time.